It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello and welcome in to our Wednesday edition of the Leach Report. We are served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Happy to have you guys on board with us today. Coming up today, we're going to chat with Brett Dawson from The Athletic. Covers the NBA, so we'll talk about uh, a little bit of how the NBA coronavirus situation might play out and a little bit about the Kentucky guys that have either made or are evaluating NBA decisions. Chris Fisher from the Cat's Paws and Michael Smith from Sports Business Journal. Michael one time covered UK sports for the Courier Journal and has been with Sports Business Journal now down in Charlotte for many years covering the the business side of sports, in particular college sports. And so we'll get uh, his take on some of these hot topics as well as we roll into the Wildcat News of the Day. That's a service of Cardinal Point Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. Kentucky officially announced Keon Brooks' return yesterday. We talked about, or yeah, yesterday we talked about this on yesterday's show because his dad had uh, confirmed it. I think to the cat's paws, but to with the UK release, we got some comments from Cal. Uh, he said, "quote Keon improved as much as anyone on our team." And you look at that Florida game that was the last memory of Keon Brooks, and you could make a strong uh, case for what Cal said. Calipari also said, I truly believe Keon is going to be special. Uh, if uh, E.J. Montgomery does, in fact, uh, go into the draft and stay, uh, Keon takes on an even much bigger role. And you know, he's, he hit a couple of threes down at Florida. He didn't have a high percentage, but the form on his shot did not look flawed. So uh, you could see him maybe being a guy that could stretch the floor a little bit. Uh, has some good shot-blocking instincts, had uh, an ability we saw in that Florida game to put it on the floor and uh, and score. So that's something he could maybe add to his game. Big thing he'll uh, need to improve on is uh, defensive, being better defensively. But you can certainly uh, expect that could happen in a second year with the growth that he had in year one. Lynn Bowden was on the Feinbaum show yesterday on the SEC Network, talked about what he's doing to stay in shape for the NFL draft coming up later this month, doing a lot of running of steps, he said. He, th- he said, quote, I think my film speaks for itself. It's unfortunate that uh, he's not going to get to have uh, the pro day. We had Vince Merrill on yesterday, and he was talking about you know what that could have done for a guy like Ahmad Wagner, who is still drawing a lot of interest. Uh, if you missed the show yesterday, Vince uh, talked about the number of calls has been uh, tremendous that he's getting for Ahmad, as well as the, the two draft prospects, Bowden and Stenberg. So good to hear that it's uh, seemingly going well for Lynn. We'll get a little bit more into the draft as we get closer to it at the end of the month. Um, but um, Lynn Bowden, certainly wish him well. He thinks, according to the interview yesterday, he could be somewhere the first three rounds. And uh, from what I read and hear, that sounds like a reasonable expectation. Uh, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday uh, was asked about schools reopening, and he said he could foresee schools reopening in the fall. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this when my, Michael Smith joins us on the, on the business side of, of sports. But if schools are reopening in the fall, then it gets easier to envision 
football season starting, um, the uh, John Clay, the Herald Leader, uh, was doing a media poll yesterday, at which he asked me to participate. And the uh, question was, do you think the college football season for 2020 will start on time, be delayed, or uh, be wiped out? And I, I took uh, B, I think that it could be delayed, because even if if schools, if we're just getting back to starting schools, then if the players aren't back on campus, say, until sometime in August starting, you know, training camp, maybe the season starts a little later, but they still play the whole thing and they just finish it a little later. So uh, we'll get into some of this with Michael, as I say, when he joins us uh, later on in the show. Uh, the UK Sports Network is continuing the uh, replays of great games. These were a big hit with the, the six basketball games that we did. So coming up this Friday, you're going to hear a replay of the Citrus Bowl broadcast. Uh, Jeff Pacoro, Dick Gabriel, and I, and the rest of our crew from uh, down in Orlando when Kentucky beat Penn State. Uh, Benny Snell set the all-time rushing record at Kentucky in that game. Uh, Josh Allen uh, added to his sack total. So that'll be coming up on Friday on the U.K. Sports Network. And U.K. softball finished up number 10 in the final uh, USA softball poll number 11 in the final coaches poll, their highest rankings since the 2014 season. Uh, such a shame that they didn't get to play out the 2020 season because it looked like they had a, a team that was a real contender to get to the College World Series. Links to the stories that we talk about, you can find them on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We'll be right back with Brett Dawson from The Athletic on the Leach Report Radio Network, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Find out more about the voice of the cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Welcome back into the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We bring on Brett Dawson from TheAthletic.com where he covers the Lakers, among other things. And it has certainly, uh, on the uh, shift change for you, been a uh, an eventful year, only uh, a little over three months into it, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, so it's, it's just a little bit longer than that. But yeah, for, for the year 2020, but for the basketball season, yes. Since I moved here, I moved to Los Angeles right when the Lakers were in the midst of kind of the China controversy, which I was not uh, involved with. I wasn't in China, but I got to Los Angeles as that was happening. Uh, that was October, obviously in January. Kobe Bryant tragically uh, passes away, and and now you know the NBA season is suspended. So. I've uh, been one of the more interesting and, and not more fun uh, years of my career doing this. We saw a story yesterday come out about uh, Major League Baseball, some things they were you know, maybe looking at. And, and I'm sure it's a time where you know, you're in meetings of these professional sports organizations, and colleges too, for that matter, where you say you know, no idea is too crazy to throw out. So we, we see a story about how baseball might be able to come back sooner than expected. What are you hearing about the NBA? Yeah, I, there are some some similar uh, conceptual ideas with the NBA, at least the possibility of uh, rapid uh, r- response uh, testing so that you would get rapid result tests, um, that you could do some antibody testing to see which players were immune at this point, because certainly some of them will be. Um, and there's a possibility that you would get into some kind of neutral site situation. I don't have much faith in the, in the idea of finishing out the season. Um, but maybe getting a little bit of a regular season uh, finish out, maybe some tournament play is a possibility to determine the the bottom portion uh, of the playoff seeds. I think 
for any of these plans, none of them are foolproof, and, and there's no guarantee that any of them are going to work. The isolation idea of kind of putting everybody into one city, whether that's Las Vegas or somewhere else, all these kind of uh, rap result tests, everything is going to have to be one, you know, what's the contingency for if someone does test positive midway through something like this? I think you'd have to figure out what happens there. And then two, I think whatever sport you're talking about, certainly the NBA, this would have to happen at a point where the, the general public is is cleared on testing, that testing is not a problem, that it's not hard to get tested. I just think from a PR standpoint, it would be very hard to say uh, testing is still a little too scarce, but we're going to test these players every day or we're going to do all these rapid result tests. I think all that stuff has to kind of be uh, in a different place than where we are today, but it may first we may be in a different place. You know, you think back to March 11th, the Rudy Gobert test positive and they, they shut down the NBA that night. If if that happens two weeks later, you've had uh, a bunch of conference tournaments and then first two rounds of the NCAA tournament played with full arenas and full bars in so many cities. And then two weeks later, you would have had four teams converging on New York City. Yeah, and, and you know, you would have had, in addition to that, you would have had, um, you know, an extra two weeks or three weeks of college campuses full of students um, in places where, Obviously, those things can spread. And, yeah, all these big gatherings, these big gatherings of crowds in the NBA. Um, the Lakers played the night before. And, the, you know, the night that all happened, we thought, well, maybe we've seen the last Laker game with fans. Maybe there will be one more. Um, the thought would be that they would be playing soon um, just without fans, that they would continue play. Um, and then, you know, as it turned out, I, you know, for me personally, selfishly, um, we had a group text among the Lakers writers two weeks after that last game one of the other Lakers writers texted a bunch of us and said, you know, congratulations. It's been two weeks since the last time we were at Staples because Staples Center was a place where some positive tests came through. Some of the NHL uh, positive tests had been in the visitor's locker room there, which is a a facility that we use. The visitor's locker room there is a a media facility for NBA games. And so, yeah, all that stuff is, it it was all very scary and it could have been a lot worse because you think about how, how much this spread, how much they track some of that to probable uh, gatherings and sporting events, it would have been a lot scarier had we had two or three more weeks of those. Let me uh, turn this to a, a little bit of a Kentucky angle now um, with guys de- declaring for the draft, and we don't know yet when the draft is going to be and how that all pro- whole process works. But let me ask you first about a guy like E.J. Montgomery, who uh, you, you know, the other four Kentucky guys, uh, most of the projections I see and and, and logic would, would tell me that there's a good chance they'll all be drafted. Certainly Maxie will be in the first round and Probably the others are all all in the second, um, but uh, EJ seems unlikely to be drafted. So, what would be the the merit of going into professional basketball at that point versus a third year at Kentucky? Well, two things on EJ. One, I think uh, this draft maybe hurts him more than even some of the others because he has some physical gifts. But teams aren't really going to be working you out in person. There's going to be a lot of video conferencing and that kind of stuff. So he doesn't really get a, a chance to go in and have a workout that wows somebody where he shoots the ball really well, for example, or something like that. So I think that's a negative for him. The, the logic of going in at this point, and I think it's the logic for a lot of guys who end up going and not getting drafted, is you start to say, okay, what have I not shown them in college? And can I still show them that in college? Or could I get into a G League franchise where I'm going to be coached by people who are professional coaches who come from the professional side of things? who know what my weaknesses are and are going to target what they teach me to making me a better pro. Uh, and there's there's an argument on both sides of that. There's an argument to say college production matters. I think college production is particularly going to matter in this draft. 
um, because of those the lack of workouts. And then there is a, a school of thought that says, you know what, you can advance uh, just as much, you can you can improve just as much in a setting where they're really geared toward uh, getting you ready for a specific franchise. So you get with a G League franchise that's affiliated. Um, you get into that situation, you get paid to work on your game as opposed to being in college. And so I, I do think we've seen a bit of a, a sea change in my mind as the G League has expanded and become more viable in seeing younger players say, you know, that's not a bad alternative. I don't have to come back to college to get better. I know someone do it somewhere else. As for the other guys, Max, he's in the, in the first round, so no need to discuss him. But the other guys, it seems to be Hagens and Quickly. If, if, if I'm a guard, the, the thing I've got to look at when I'm con- making that decision is, do I have something, an NBA, at least one NBA-ready skill that I can offer? And it would seem both of those guys, you know, Hagens has already declared, and, and if Quickly does, they both have at least that to offer with Hagens, his defense, and with Quickly, his uh, shooting ability. Yeah, Quickly can score. I really like Quickly a lot, and I think he's. it's really obvious to me what a student he is of the NBA game. You can see uh, Lou Williams in him, and you can see James Harden, and I don't think either of those things are accidental. I do think he studies those guys and looks at some of the ways that they use uh, leverage and angles. He's a really smart offensive player. Um, He's, I don't know that he's ready to play any point guard in the league, and I, maybe there's some value in, in playing point guard for a year in college or playing more point guard. I know they got a kid from out here, Devin Askew, coming next year, and they would probably share those duties if he came back. But I think he can play in the NBA. I, I'm less convinced on Hagens um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the defense is not a question. I think he has a chance to be a high-level NBA defender. I know a lot of people will compare him to Patrick Beverly. Maybe not fair. Beverly is really elite, and get, getting to that point is hard. Uh, the, the thing I question most with Hagens, obviously the jump shot is, is not there, but the, the finishing problems would worry me as an NBA team. The fact that he doesn't finish around the rim very well is a little bit alarming is too strong a word, but it's certainly concerning. But um, to your point, yeah, if you, if you want one NBA skill that's going to translate, he's great on the ball, and he'll be great on the ball, I think, at, at any level of basketball. And then the other being Nick Richards, and, and he had a really good third year. It, it uh, seemed to, seems that he... You know, paid off for him to to go back, and you know he's almost seven feet tall, big wingspan, can run like a deer, shoots outside. He's got a lot to, more to offer than he did a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, he, I, I never saw it before this year. I mean, I just didn't see what people even saw uh, in him, and I don't watch him every game. But um, what I had seen up to this year, I just didn't get it. But this year, you did see a whole lot. I think he's he's a much better scorer. I think the fact that he's he's you know, still in the grand scheme of things, relatively new to basketball. The fact that he's added that mid-range shot means maybe it's not out of the realm of possibility that he'd be a pick-and-pop guy at some point, and maybe he shoots threes. Um, you know, he, he eats up some space. He's a rim protector. The uh, question on him, I think, obviously will be how well he moves his feet defensively. How does he handle, you know, can he hedge a ball screen? How is he in the pick-and-roll when he's got to get switched onto a ball handler, all that kind of stuff? That's the stuff you have to see about him, but... I do think the fact that he's gotten so much better year over year uh, gives you some some reason to believe in him as a prospect that, that he's not going to stop. Brett Dawson, uh, you can read him at theathletic.com. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Tom. Also on Twitter, it's at B. Dawson Writes, a uh, regular visitor to our program. We always appreciate him for that. Good follow on Twitter. Really sharp on uh, those NBA topics, too. So if you're an NBA fan... Definitely need to be following Brett Dawson. It's the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington, locations in Hamburg and in Palomar. And a reminder about a program involving the food service industry that Keeneland is a part of. 
It's good food for good people. The nonprofit Nourish Lexington Initiative is utilizing the skills of hospitality workers recently unemployed due to COVID-19 closings to prepare meals for those in need. In exchange for preparing and delivering meals, food service workers will get $60 payment for a four-hour shift. Meals will be distributed to hospitality industry families and others in need. Go to nourishlexington.org to learn how to receive meals, sign up to work, or make a donation. We'll be right back on the Leach Report Radio Network. get to a radio you can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com now back to the show a note out from university of kentucky athletics today all camps and clinics are canceled through july 31st refunds will be issued and the um, which is going to be done through the camp registration platform that uk has we welcome in chris fisher from catspaws.com for our regular Wednesday chat. Um, let's start with uh, the uh, announcement about Keon Brooks that uh, came out. I think you guys talked to his dad. That's uh, where we heard it first. UK officially confirmed it yesterday with some comments from Cal. What could a second year, what will a second year of Keon Brooks look like? You know, I'm, I'm really, really high on, on Keon Brooks. I think uh, his versatility is the thing at both ends of the floor is the thing that stands out to me the most. I think he's much more skilled than maybe he was able to showcase this season. He was forced to split minutes with E.J. Montgomery and Nate Sestina and earlier in the season, Khalil Whitney. And I just think you can put him anywhere on the floor. He can run the baseline. He can play the the post. He can uh work the elbow he can step out on the perimeter and put it on the floor and i think that florida game in in the the season finale was really uh kind of a peek into the crystal ball of what he'll be able to do for kentucky next season and i I talked to his dad and and he spoke about pj washington and emmanuel quickly and and the leaps that they both made as sophomores and not to say that Keon Brooks will be SEC Player of the Year or an All-American like P.J. Washington, but definitely think there's the potential there for him to to make a huge leap in his sophomore season. Yeah, that's uh, something that's uh, exciting to to think about when you think about it in the terms of what those two guys did with their second year. Talk with Chris Fisher from the Cat's Paws, and we'll continue after this timeout. It is the Leach Report Radio Network. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Back with Chris Fisher, the Cat's Paws on our KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at ChrisFisher247. Let's jump to uh, Matt Harms for a second as he has generated a buzz among Big Blue fans since entering the transfer portal. From what I read, this came as a surprise to the Purdue coaching staff. Uh, and Harms is looking to, uh, I think, a quote I saw, uh, showcase his game or skills for the NBA. Uh, first, what do you know about his game and how it might fit at Kentucky if he would choose to come here? Yeah, I don't think he's 
John Calipari's typical big man that he's recruited. He's more of kind of a, a pick and pop guy or a roll to the rim. He's very, very skilled. Uh, I mean, especially for being seven foot three, he averaged two blocks a game. And so he can add some, some rim protection. But I think for Kentucky at this point, it's about filling a need. I mean, if, if you lose Nate Sestina, if you lose Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery to the draft, all of a sudden, you have Isaiah Jackson and, and Lance Ware coming in, but you would definitely like to add some experience there in the front court. And uh, he's ranked as one of the best available uh, grad transfers on the market. And so I definitely think uh, I can see why Kentucky would be interested in him. And uh, all of a sudden, I think he becomes a, a really, really important piece. Kentucky hasn't really been involved very much in the grad transfer market. It, it felt like fans were starting to get a little bit antsy, but if you're Kentucky, you can afford to be a little bit more selective than, than some of these other schools, especially when there are more than 500 transfers out there on the market. And I definitely think Matt Harms uh, fits the bill for a lot of what Kentucky's looking for and, frankly, a lot of what they need should these guys uh, stay in the draft. I would, ass- I would think we'd hear – something from from Nick Richards and Emmanuel quickly pretty soon um, would be my guess would you agree maybe EJ too yeah I definitely think uh, Kentucky is starting to to roll those declarations out there we saw Ashton Hagens over the weekend Tyrese Maxey Keon Brooks the, they official made it official last night and I would expect those announcements to to come this week even though we, we might not have an NBA draft until you know, July, August, you know, September even, uh, there are some that are, are saying. So it's not like there's any rush to do that. But when you're finalizing a roster, I think obviously transfers are going to look at, uh, you know, situations where they can step in and, and play right away. And if there's an air of uncertainty at Kentucky, well, are these guys going to stay? Are they going to go? And uh, so I think Kentucky would, would kind of like to get that out of the way and, and clear the air a little bit. Right, because especially for a guy like Harms, um, that right. if for some reason Nick Richards would would come back, that would that one would assume greatly impact a decision as it pertains to Kentucky. I don't think that's going to happen, and so assuming that's the the case, um, you know, one thing that Cal has always been is is versatile, and they did a lot of uh, the you know pick and roll to the rim stuff with Nick this year, and and pick and pop to shoot those you know fifteen footers and. Um, Harms is it's certainly a program that has uh, produced guys uh, that have succeeded in the NBA so they would uh, have that going for them uh, I, I the I don't know uh, I didn't watch him play extensively but just uh, what I do know of his game I could see him fitting here if uh, he makes the decision to come Yeah and I, I think that's one thing John Calvary has done really really well over his decade plus at Kentucky is, is tailor his offense to the strengths of, of his team. And mm-hmm. like you said, we saw Nick Richards step out and shoot that 18 footer very effectively this season. And I think that's one thing that Matt Harms is looking to do. He was playing alongside Travion Williams, who really took on the, the starting role at Purdue and saw his numbers dip and saw his numbers or his minutes dip a little bit. And I think he was looking for somewhere where he could maybe step out and, and play on the perimeter a little bit more. And that's that's something that we saw uh, with with Nick Richards and Kentucky did a lot of the dribble handoff stuff with Josh Harrelson early in uh, in in Cal's tenure at Kentucky and so I have no doubt that that he can find.
find a way to to make it work with Matt Harms should he choose to come to Kentucky. The thing that uh, I would like uh, if Harms ends up here is uh, you look at uh, one one correlation to Cal's best teams. Um, more often than not, they've been his most prolific shot blocking teams. Mm-hmm. And uh, Keon could certainly uh, help in that area. Jackson's noted as for his shot blocking skill. Harms at seven three is obviously going to be a serious rim protector. So they could uh, maybe have one of their best shot blocking teams in a while if Harms ended up coming. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. I think uh, when you when you look at the the length of a Keon Brooks, uh, potentially a Matt Harms and Isaiah Jackson who. Uh, I think led the EYBL in, in blocks per game. I think he averaged over three and a half blocks uh, in the Nike EYBL last travel season. Uh, that's a, a really nice little uh, trio that, that can provide a lot of rim protection. Like you say, can, uh, Kentucky's best defensive teams have had that shot blocker and that rim protector on the back line with Anthony Davis, Nerlens Noel, Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, and, and those guys. And Kentucky just hasn't had a lot of success recruiting those guys. And, and Nick Richards was one of those guys, but it took him a little bit longer to develop, but we saw what he was able to do as a rim protector last season and so uh would definitely go go a long way in in helping Kentucky defensively especially with a team that is going to be so uh inexperienced uh at the defensive end next season and um the 2011 team you referenced with Josh earlier that was actually they uh blocked shots at a much greater rate than you might have expected Terrence Jones was was very good and if you know if EJ comes back uh, as well that would just uh, add to that mix I want to ask you about a name that popped up on the recruiting scene a new new name excuse me uh Peyton Watson in the class of 21 is that uh, one that Kentucky would be expected to get seriously involved with it's possible. He's another West Coast guy that I think Kentucky's just kind of put some feelers out on. And, uh, you know, with with no face-to-face contact, no campus visits, I think, you know, I think Kentucky's putting a lot of feelers out there, just kind of trying to build that, that foundation uh, a little bit earlier in the process. And I think that's one thing that has really paid off for Kentucky with the extended dead period is the work that they've put in on guys like Sky Clark and Jaden Hardy and um, you know obviously getting the six signees all in the fall was was huge for Kentucky getting those guys on board early in the process and uh, I think Kentucky's put themselves in a very very good position uh, with guys like Clark and, and Hardy to to land a commitment because the landscape right now is so uncertain that guys, I think you're going to see a lot of elite guys want to go ahead and get the recruiting process out of the way. And they've already had Sky Clark on campus. They put in a ton of time with Jaden Hardy, went out to Las Vegas and met with him and his family. And now that schools are doing the virtual tours, uh, you know, an on campus visit, if it's not possible, um, you know, that's, that's a nice little uh, buffer that, schools can use to to give recruits you know kind of an on-campus experience but just do it virtually and so i think kentucky's really uh put themselves like john calipari said ahead of the game as far as recruiting their top targets even though the 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 dead period is is now slated to go on for for deep into the summer chris fisher thank you much all right thanks Chris Fisher joins us on Wednesdays from catspaws.com on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. 
Heading to a break, Michael Smith from the Sports Business Journal coming up next. It's the Leach Report Radio Network, and we are served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. On Twitter, it's at Tom Leach KY. To the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline we go, and we're on Michael Smith. Sports Business Journal down in Charlotte, and Michael also covered the UK sports beat at one time for the Courier Journal. When was that, Michael? Back in the early 2000s, Tom. It was uh, 2001 to 2006, and uh, a lot of good times. In fact, one of the, one of the interesting things about uh, the times that we're in now is being being able to go back and watch some of those old games like the. Uh, the regional final when Kentucky played Michigan State in in Austin, Texas, and uh, oh, hadn't yeah. thought about that in a while, but have uh, enjoyed going back and watching some of those old games like that. That was one of the the craziest days for uh, for Mike Pratt and I doing the radio broadcast because we had no TV monitor to to speak to, and yet we couldn't break away from the action after Spark shot at the end of regulation because we're waiting on Jim Burr to make his decision and we didn't want that decision to come while we were in a break. So we're just kind of tap dancing and uh, our studio <laughs> producers telling us what he's seeing. That was crazy. <laughs> it was, but you know, it was a incredible drama. And, uh, oh, was to it? this day, I don't know that you can tell if the, if the toe is on the line or not. Let me ask you a couple of, uh, things about the start of college football. Uh, first off, um, there were some interesting comments yesterday. I saw uh, the Notre Dame AD said he doesn't see an extended number of games with empty facilities. Uh, Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy had a, uh, a nice little rant that he'll probably have to walk back. And then <laughs> Dr. Fauci, uh, in the most notable comments, I thought, uh, said he can foresee schools reopening this fall uh, he talked about communities being able to identify the virus, isolate infected patients. So if somebody even tests positive, they could isolate them, trace the source of the infection, and school could happen. And if schools are in session, that makes it easier to believe that football could start, if not at the first part of September, then soon thereafter, right? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is that um, in, in the professional leagues, you know, playing or not playing really is a, is a decision between the owners and the players' union. Whereas in college, that decision really is more of an institutional decision. It, it's right. it's a decision that's going to be made by by the campus and by the conferences, and uh, it, it's um, it, it's they're both evaluating a lot of the same things, but it's a, it's a different decision making process for sure. And um, yeah, it's. I think a lot of people have said this. I would probably be of this opinion. It's hard to imagine them playing games if students aren't on campus, right? Right. You know, it kind of goes back to that question of, you know, do you play games in front of empty stands? And, you know, if you're a professional league, it might make more sense to play games in in front of an empty stands because the, the players, you know, that's their livelihood, whereas it's a, obviously a different model in college athletics where uh, I really would have a hard time seeing schools playing games in front of empty stands because that to me would say that uh, if the stands are empty, that maybe it's not as completely safe as it possibly could be. And that's not an environment you'd want to put your college athletes in. So I'm, 
I really struggle. I, I agree with what the Notre Dame athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, said yesterday. I really don't see the college game going to a model where they're playing games in empty stands. You had a, a story at Sports Business Journal uh, about uh, the loss of uh, revenue from uh, March Madness. What's some of the fallout of that going to be for college athletics? Well, every athletic director in the country is going through their their budget for 2020-21 right now and trying to evaluate, okay, if we get if we take this much of a revenue hit, what does that look like? How do we react? Um, and what what might be some of the consequences of a 10% revenue hit, a 25%, a 50% revenue hit, you know, largely based on whether or not there's football when you get to that significant of a, of a decrease. But, um, the, you know, do you look at cutting sports? Do you look at cutting salaries? You know, we've already seen a couple of examples where athletic directors are taking maybe a 20% hit. We saw, Axwell Commissioner Larry Scott take a 20% salary hit. Um, these are temporary pay reductions that are fairly common in the corporate world, and we're starting to see them sneak into the uh, college athletics world uh, as a means of saving money when revenue is down. And so it'll be interesting to see. I think, I think now that um, some of those commissioners and ADs have stepped out there and, and made that statement that they're going to take a – a pay reduction, I think we'll see more do that now. And uh, the college athletic departments are, are getting uh, hit for multiple fronts, not just the lost March Madness revenue, but uh, ticket sales that maybe aren't happening. And then I saw a story you had about, uh, didn't think as much about this, but uh, the sales declining for licensed merchandise. Right. So, you know, there are all kinds of different factors that go into the revenue streams of a college athletic department. So, Media would be obviously one area that, uh, you know, media rights would be a, a big area. That's that's the number one revenue generator for conferences and athletic departments. And and with the loss of March Madness, that was a, if you're a mid-major school, it was probably a million-dollar hit. If you're a Power 5 school, you probably took a 4 or $5 million hit with the loss of March Madness. Um, you know, merchandise sales concessions, donations, all those really, really important revenue streams are definitely threatened by this uh, pandemic that we're in. And the further you move away from leagues like the SEC, Big Ten, you know, the great TV deals and things that, that they've put in place over the years, you know, you, you're down in that mid-major realm in particular, that, that just hits even harder, doesn't it? Well, it it can, you know. They're they're very much dependent on things like student fees uh, for athletics, whereas the the Power Five schools get more of their revenue from media rights. So, say in, in Eastern Kentucky or Western Kentucky, may be more dependent on uh, the the student fees and school being back in session uh, than say the the money that they get from media rights. So, probably a little bit different proposition for a mid-major than say for a, a power five or an sec school any any guess from anything you've heard is is a timeline for making some decisions on on college football that's the the next big thing i guess to to come up is you know what they've got to have some lead time to get uh players ready to play so they couldn't just you know say okay you're good to go and then play the next day so any any guess on the timeline 
Well, you know, I, I think it really is is going to be dependent on uh, whether or not they're willing to maybe make some adjustments because typically what you would have is, you know, June is uh, or July is a time period for conditioning. And then August obviously is training camp and uh, practices. So you're looking at typically a six or seven week time period to ramp up to the football season. And so that, that would be ideal. But if that's not available to them, let's say they don't decide until August for uh, students to come back on campus, then, you know, would a month of training camp be enough or would, would they be willing to push the start of the season back to give them the full amount of time to get ready? I think for the most part, what we'll see in college athletics is that they'll, they'll lean toward, you know, the, the safer approach just to, to give athletes every opportunity to be ready for the season. But, you know, do they really need six or seven weeks to get ready for the season? I, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm sure that's a question that will be asked and, and evaluated to determine you know, whether or not they can start the season on time or maybe the start of the season goes from 1st of September to maybe the 1st of October, which I know has been a scenario that's been discussed. And, and I think all that will be decided through the summer. Michael, appreciate you uh, giving us a little time. Hope uh, you and the family are staying safe. Thanks, Tom. Always good catching up with you, buddy. It's Michael Smith, Sports Business Journal. We'll head to a break and come back to wrap up this edition of the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Keeneland Select. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Coronavirus claimed John Prime yesterday, 73 years old. So rest in peace to John Prime. Um, Al Kaline, I missed this one yesterday, the legendary Detroit Tigers uh, right fielder, uh, passed away. Uh, that was one of my first sporting events that I ever remember following as a kid was the 68 World Series and Al Kaline leading the Tigers uh, to the title. I want to remind you about Shuffle Bean Coffee, one of our great partners here on the Leach Report. You can keep your routine going as it comes, as it pertains to your morning cup of coffee by picking up a bag of Shuffle Bean Coffee at Kroger or wherever you're shopping for groceries. You can order through Amazon Prime too. Shufflebean.us is the website where you can find locations and see the backstory on a Kentucky-based company that is all about a quality cup of coffee from seed to cup is what they like to say and how they monitor the process. We'll see you tomorrow on the Leach Report. LeachReport at gmail.com. See you next time right here on 103.7.